We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, talking to Krishna. And today we're recapping all the major deals of the trade deadline. So if you want, we're going to skip, not skip, but we're going to very, very quickly summarize a few of the bigger trades because we've already done full podcasts on them. If you haven't listened, we covered the Rui Hachimura trade. It was the first you know, you know, notable trade. We covered the Kyrie Irving trade and then the Kevin Durant trade. So if you want full like 20 plus minute breakdowns of those things, you can just go into the podcast feed and see their like, like trailing episodes. But we're going to kind of move through the trade deadline very, very quickly and try to give some, you know, analysis. And I don't know, Christian, what do you want to do? Do you want to grade these trades? Do you want to pick a winner? How do you want to talk about them? Um. Yeah, we can like grade them, I guess. I don't know if it's probably too early to pick winners, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we're in the we're in the business making podcast. You make a podcast picking all the winners, then you make a podcast later talking about all the winners you were wrong about picking. You could stretch this into three or four episodes. Um, but let's get into it. So the first one is the Kevin Durant trade. Uh, the Suns obviously get him. The Nets in return get Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Again, if you want a whole breakdown of this, you can find 20 plus minutes of it in the podcast feed of me and Christian talking about it. The Nets get a whole bunch of picks back in return, a bunch of first round picks, a bunch of second round picks. But really the notable parts of this trade are Durant going to the Suns, the Nets receiving Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, some salary filler, four first round picks and two second round picks and a swap. Krishna, what is your three-sentence analysis of this trade? Uh, yeah, I guess the Suns were big winners, and the Nets, uh, I guess, made a fun team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I, yeah, it's one of those things where the Nets – they I like what they got back in return. They got a lot of picks back. They could move Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson up. There's been rumors that people were going to trade four first-round picks for Mikhail, which – doesn't make sense, but whatever. Uh, and then the Suns are very, very dangerous. And I think they're right up there with the Nuggets as the top team in the West. Uh, also kind of a back end attached to this trade is Jay Crowder going to the Bucks. I originally, this was reported as a separate trade, but it has been combined. Jay Crowder is going to the Bucks, and the Pacers on top of everything are going to receive George Hill, Serge Ibaka, salary filler, Three second round picks and some money from Brooklyn. I feel so. Basically, the Pacers were just a part of this trade to 
take salary essentially and get some picks out of it. And then the Bucks receive the player in Jay Crowder, who's been sitting out all year, not playing for Phoenix. How do you feel about Jay Crowder joining the Bucks? Um, yeah, I think so. The Bucks ended up actually giving five second round picks in total for Crowder. Uh, I like the move. Um, I guess it's going to depend on. I mean, he's just kind of been sitting on his couch for the entire season, so it'll be interesting to see um, what he looks like when he gets back. Um, but you know what? Definitely, if like if you have a player sitting on their couch for the whole season, that's better than having them coming off an injury. Like you know, so I think uh, I it's probably fair to assume that uh, you could. Assume Crowder is going to basically kind of pick up from where he left off last year, um, because like I said, it's not like he's coming off an injury or anything like that. So I think if he's picking up where he left off last year, um, the Bucks got a pretty good player, and I think more importantly, um, he's going to unlock some different interesting lineup combinations. Uh, to me, he it seems like he's their PJ uh, Tucker replacement from two years ago. Uh, they never really replaced him last year, and uh, I think he's going to kind of give them that this year, um, that kind of uh, power forward type guy who can uh, guard up and, um, you know, certainly guard some wings too. So, um, And it's going to unlock some lineups, I guess, where they can maybe go small with Giannis at center um, if they're playing against a team maybe that is spacing them out a bit more. And... Um, it's, uh, but also, you know, he can fit in lineups, but they play bigger too. So, um, just like, I think a good trade because it adds a lot of lineup flexibility for the bucks. So the bucks needed to add something to their team. Cause they're an extremely good defensive team. They have a lot of depth there and then they get more of it. Um, obviously with getting Crowder, but the offense it's been hard because Middleton has been out majority of the year, but the offense has looked a little limp for a team that's trying to, you know, win a title. I'm trying to figure out, you know, depth is never a bad thing, right? You always want more depth, but I'm trying to figure out how this is going to work rotation wise because you have Brooke Lopez at center, and then you have Giannis at the four. And now you have, so like Crowder can play like, you know, the three or the four, whatever you want. Um, but on top of that, they have Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, Pat Connington. They just got Joe Ingles back from injury and trying to figure out how all those guys, someone's going to lose a, a rotation spot here. I'm, I don't know who it will be. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, I think. Um, see, I, I think the one thing I will say about this trade is that I think it does help them overall because it gives them a two-way player. And oh, in terms of like who's who, he's going to replace. I don't know if he's going to re- like. So was George Hill or Nwara or Abaka playing significant minutes? Um, I feel like got to check this. Uh, <laughs> Not really. George Hill was playing 20 okay. minutes a game, but they play different positions. Well, so. the other thing that's kind of weird is so um, they've had a lot of guys out. So um, there's um, so I, I kind of understand what you're saying, where there's now less minutes available because. Uh, they're getting their guys back. Although Middleton, 
is still on a minutes limit and Bobby Portis is out currently. So uh, <laughs> at least in the meantime, um, Crowder's going to come in and I guess he's not going to really take anyone's minutes. But um, I think they're probably there. Um, they have a good like eight, nine, ten guys here. I mean, if you're just going through their rotation, obviously Giannis, Drew, Middleton, Brooke. Um, then they have Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, uh, Carter, Ingles, uh, now Crowder, and uh, Wes Matthews, I think. Um, so that looks like that's about 10 guys that could be a part of their rotation. I think um, the guy I'm not totally sure about is Ingles. I think he's helped the Bucks. Um, I mean, he's a good playmaker. Um, but his three point shooting this year has like not been anywhere near what you would expect Joe Ingles to. Yeah, but I mean he's only played twenty four games. He's shooting thirty five percent. It's not like it's not like he isn't making any of them. Obviously, that's pretty low for him. But like you know, you give him another you know ten games. Well, he shot thirty four percent last year too. So I think that the worry is that, and he's coming off an ACL, right? I think the worry is like, uh. He, you need him. You need him to be Joe Ingles, capital, like capital Joe Ingles, right? Like the guy who caps lock Joe Ingles, the guy who's like been a forty-four percent three-point shooter for you know a lot of his career, right? Or forty-two percent or whatever he's shooting. Um, and if you're getting like league average three-point shooting from Ingles, I don't know if he's adding as much given his defensive limitations. Now he's a good playmaker, so he's not just somebody who and he can run pick and roll so he's not just and they desperately need playmaking with middleton missing yeah, most of the season do. like it's they really needed yeah extra and it definitely helps a lot there and you and you can see he does help their offense but i still think um as a team if i'm not mistaken they're like 20 in the 20s in terms of three-point shooting um so uh let's see where they rank well, I was going to just challenge you on Jay Crowder being a two-way player. I just don't think he's a two-way player. I think he's a pretty good defensive player, but I don't think he's really that great on offense. If you look at his three-point shooting numbers, they're not very impressive over his Crowder? career. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I think he's really streaky. So he has some, like, there was a series a few years ago, I thought, where he, like, shot insane from three. Was it against the Jazz, maybe, or something like that? And he's had other series where he's been really bad from three. So he's just really, really streaky. Um, and he's So he's a career 34% three-point shooter in the playoffs. He did have a season on Phoenix in 2021 where he shot 38% in the playoffs. That definitely will help you. Yep. But over his career, 34% in the playoffs. And that's, I mean, I can go into the analytics and slice and dice it, but I don't know if I can make that look very good. Um, I Yeah, it's not that great. But you know what? I think... It's like it it might be good enough where like it given his defense that he gives you and you know, he's not like totally he's not one of one of those players who like he's not Matisse Dybul where he can't do anything with the ball in his hands, right? Like he can drive a close out, he can like do basic stuff, right? So I think um I I He's capable of scoring the basketball. I just don't think I would call him a positive on offense. I think he's overall a positive player because he is a good defender. But um, I don't know if I would be saying this impacts the Bucks offense. Really. Oh no, I don't. I don't think it helps the Bucks offense that much. But I do think it gives them like I. I if you're asking me about whether I believe in like 
like we're getting to the playoffs, we're getting to like the second round against the Celtics or the Sixers or whoever they're playing the Cavs. Um, and you're choosing between like Grayson Allen and Jay Crowder. Hey, Grayson Allen might hurt somebody. That could be valuable. <laughs> uh, I think I feel a little more comfortable with uh, Crowder out there. Like G- Grayson was really bad. Yeah, Jay Crowder's yeah, definitely better. That's that's all my point is. Like he's a better. I don't. I don't think he's some great like three and D. Like his offense isn't like. He gets categorized as a three and D, but I'm like he's got the D. I just don't know about that three. Yeah, I think. Well, the thing is, like, if you kind of like, we did a pot earlier, right, where there's just not a lot of three and D guys in the league. So to me, there yeah, are. Yeah. So there to me, not. he falls like he's a three and D, but he's not. Like so, he's not above league average on on the three portion part, but he's like good enough where if you're looking for like the best three and D players, he's gonna fall like kind of in that, you know, second or third tier of like you know, top like forty three and D players or top thirty or whatever, right? So yeah, we found I want to say we found in the research that whether you're a, a, a three and D player, whether you, you skew towards the shooting or the defense, a lot of the times you're like a noticeable plus in one and you're like average or a slight negative in the other. And like, honestly, that's because there just aren't like all the players that are actually positive on both. A lot of the times are like really high end players, like they're like top 50 players or top 40 players. And I'm like, I don't know if like drew holiday, I would consider a three. I mean, he is a three and D player, but I'm like, he's so much more that we just don't describe him that way. We just describe him as like a right. like an all-star. So like if you're looking at, I <laughs> um, feel like there's what, like 10 non all-star three and D players that are plus on both ends. If, if 10 players, like if even that, like, so it's just very, it's like, it's like, it's like in the low teens, I think like the last time I checked. Um, yeah, I, we did a pot on this, right. Where I thought you found like 10 guys or something like that. Was it? I think it was wings. I think it was wings and there was 10. So like, I imagine there's some, okay. guards in there but, too. but see, that's the thing is like a wing is even less rare to, to get a three and D wing is even less rare more rare. than a guard. Uh, I would imagine it's more rare. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, more rare. I meant, yeah, I said less. I meant yeah. more. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I do think it's going to help them. Um, and especially just cause like they can unlock some different interesting lineups with Giannis at center. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, but, um, and especially because, like, you know, I, like, Brooke is one of their best players, so you want him out there. But, uh, you know, there's, um, like, if you go and look in the playoffs, there's been some times, I guess, where, They've had him like not at like at more like 20 to 25 minutes. And so if you want to fill in those extra minutes, 
uh, with a crowd or somebody like that, that, that could really help. So, I mean, yeah, seems like a, uh, overall positive move for the bucks. They add a rotation player to the playoffs, possibly, probably. And they're not really giving, they give up a bunch of second round picks, which seems like a great deal. And then they just, you know, ditch some salary. Uh, let's move on to the Clippers trading with the Hornets. They got Mason Plumley. Oh, I, I just wanted to hmm? comment, ask you one last question on the bucks. Uh, how do you feel, um, about their, like, are you disappointed they didn't add anybody to help their offense more? Yes, but it's really hard because at the deadline, it's really tricky to try to add offense because normally the offense that's available is a self-creator who doesn't playmake and is bad on defense because like those are the guys who are like, well, the team doesn't mind trading them. So I don't know if that plugs in, like how that would plug into the Bucks. Like if the Buck, like Bones Highland, I really like him. I think he's the next iteration of like Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, that six man for like 15 years that can score a lot of points. Can't play any defense, but he actually, he has an interesting playmaking as well. But like, you know, that, that classic six man, smaller guy can't defend at all. And I don't know how that fits into the Bucks. You know, you already have Drew Holiday at that spot, yada, yada, yada. So I'm not sure. I We all, we all want every team to add a wing that's a three and D player that can also create a little bit on closeouts. But it's like, there's just not that many of those guys in the league and everyone wants them. So they're very expensive. Um, so I, I don't really know. I wanted the Bucks to add offense. Obviously so much hinges on what Chris Middleton is when he gets back, but he's been a pretty good player in the past. So I'm not super worried. There's still time, but I agree with you in theory. You're like, I would like the Bucks to add more offense. I think that's why they gambled with the Joe Ingles thing coming back from injury. And he's a pretty old player, but you know, maybe he's still got a little bit of like sparkle in him and, I don't know. Time will tell. So, uh, yeah, I get what you mean about wanting to add more offense, but I also understand the limitations of like what's available and also how it fits into the team that already exists. So, uh, yeah, let's move on to the Clippers uh, trading with the Hornets. Clippers get Mason Plumley. They give up Reggie Jackson in a second round pick. I don't want to spend too long on this, but just I feel like a nice quality move. I feel like Mason Plumley as a reserve big is a pretty good player. And the Clippers were definitely looking for some size. It felt like all season. Yeah, the Clippers needed backup big, and they addressed that here. So um, I think it was a good move, and uh, <laughs> not much to say about this, honestly, because they, the Clippers basically filled a need, and uh, and you want teams who are trying to win to, you know, to fill needs that they have. So. Uh. Yeah, it's just one of those things where this isn't a sexy move, but it's just a solid move. Uh, Reggie Jackson going to be a buyout player, it looks like. I'd be interested to see what team he joins because he's a solid guy. He's a ball handler. He can score a little bit. When he was moved to the Clippers initially, he had a really great shooting season because he was playing off ball more. So I would be interested to see if he could do that on a contending team. Uh, moving on, the Sixers made a trade with the Hornets and acquired Jalen McDaniels. This was a confusing this was a weird trade because the Sixers get Jalen McDaniels from the Hornets and also two second round picks, one from Charlotte and one from Portland. And then the Hornets receive a salary filler and two first or sorry, two second round picks. And this is a huge trade. Sorry, it's very confusing. The Trailblazers receive Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibel, salary filler in a first round pick from New York 
and Josh Hart goes from the Blazers to New York. There's no way someone listening that hasn't seen this trade, there's no way that made sense. It's confusing to read. I think the main takeaways from this trade, there's a bunch of second round picks that like ultimately hold a very small amount of value, but the 76ers got Jalen McDaniels. The Trailblazers got Cam Reddish and Matisse Thibel uh, and a first round pick from New York that's protected, I believe. Yeah, and uh, the Knicks got Josh Hart. So the best player in this trade is Josh Hart going to the Knicks. And the Trailblazers kind of replace him with Matisse Thibel, who's like a defensive stopper, and also Cam Reddish, who is a player that people on Twitter will not stop talking about. And he's been in the league for years. Was he like just insanely good in college? I don't watch college. He hasn't done much at the NBA level, but people are talking about Cam Reddish on Twitter. Like, I'm convinced there might be bots just bringing him up. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's just because he looks like he's a great 3 and D player. He just he looks like he is. It doesn't necessarily mean he is, but he just looks like he is. Like he looks like he has the physical tools to be a great three and D player, even though he doesn't really do either. Like he's not great on threes or on defense, but um, I guess in theory he is, if that makes sense. Um, uh, how do you feel about the Sixers picking up Jalen McDaniels? Yeah. So, um, oh, actually, I just wanted to add one other uh, piece to the trade where you mentioned. The Hornets did get their second round pick back. And if you're familiar with where the Hornets are in the standings, you're probably looking at that like, oh, that's actually pretty close to a first round pick. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's um, you could call it. Wait, wait, Charlotte got their own second round pick. Back? Yeah, they got their own second round pick back from Philly who had their second round pick. That's not what this that's not what the NBA page says. Um. Oh yeah. Oh no. So it's it says twenty twenty three second round pick from Philadelphia, but that's actually their. Oh, it's their yeah, pick. Their pick. This is Philadelphia. This is the most confusing trade to listen to on a podcast of all time. There's three, six, nine, ten. Oh, there's eleven assets moving between four teams. You're just gonna have to Google this yourself if you're listening at home. I've I've done my best to try to organize this trade. It's impossible. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm just letting you know. So that second round pick the Hornets got back is so, and also to throw a loop into this trade, the Hornets traded back for their own second round. Pick. Yes, and if, that's what I was saying. <laughs> as a as a a storyteller in the auditory medium, I've failed. I feel like this is the first time I failed the listeners on the BBI podcast, just not being able to explain this trade that has a few rotation players and a lot of other things in it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the Hornets getting back their own second round pick is, is a little, is helpful because they're not very good. And that's going to be like 33rd or 34th or something. So it's very close to first rounder. Uh, as for the Sixers, um, I think <laughs> part of the reason behind this move was definitely because the Sixers got under the luxury tax. So if you're wondering, <laughs> Always, if if you see a trade like this, always wonder if one team is uh, <laughs> <laughs> saving a little yeah, coin. Yeah, saving a little coin. Um, but I think Jalen McDaniels. Um, when I first saw the trade, I was like, is he a less extreme version of Thibel, where he's maybe a little better on offense, but not as good on defense? Um, and I can understand why that could be like appealing in the playoffs. Uh, because Thibault really struggled in the playoffs. Um, 
and just because offense is like he he doesn't do anything on offense um so I, I can understand why getting somebody who's a little more balanced but not as basically not as extreme could help but um yeah i don't know what do you think about it i think for the sixers you're not losing much or I don't even know if you're net losing really because you have, you have so many defensive oriented players on the Sixers roster that losing Thibault. And like you said, Thibault really struggled in the playoffs. I'm not ready to give up on him as a possible impact player in the playoffs, but it did not go well last year. And I think a lot of that though was not having, it was Embiid was hurt, which I feel like, Thibel forcing people like playing behind them, essentially forcing them into like the center is a lot of his game. And when your center is dealing with so many injuries, that strategy is just not going to work very well. But the Sixers got under the luxury. That does matter. Jalen McDaniels has, I feel like a player that, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about this year. Um, so that's, he's interesting. And I think ultimately the part of this trade that interests me the most is the Knicks got Josh Hart, who's like a legit role player. And he's a really good rebounder for his size. And the Blazers got a first round pick in return. So I'm more trying to figure out, I'm less interested in the Sixers and the Hornets part of this trade. And I'm more interested in what the Trailblazers are doing. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Because I think it like the Blazers gave up the best player in the deal and got worse players right so if you look at it you're like okay well immediately they didn't they gave up the best player and got the you know got worse players than the guys that they gave up so they did get a little worse in terms of like their top end talent but i guess they added a little depth um and and uh, depth is a depth a, a stretch of a word. Um, well, yeah, I, they did they did get a first round. They got a protected first round pick uh, in return. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's interesting about this is like if you're what what does it say the blaze? What direction does it say the Blazers are going in? Like if you make a move like this, you're almost saying that we're actually not as concerned about making a play and push. Maybe we're a little more concerned about uh accumulating like you know younger players to eventually uh maybe build a better package around for a star player or so what i am thinking is that first round pick is more valuable to another team than josh hart is if you're trying to move for a superstar this offseason which i think the blazers need to do i know the blazers have been talking about adding players for a long time but right now they have dame they have Anthony and they have Jeremy Grant and then Nurk's like a, a, a solid player. And I think what you do is you package Anthony because he's a pretty good young scoring player with a bunch of first round picks and you try to get a disgruntled star in the offseason. And I think that first round pick is going to hold more value than Josh Hart in a trade. Because I think a first round pick's probably more a little Josh Hart's not he's a good role player, but he's not quite worth a first rounder. But it's that thing of like you you'd have to trade he's like the two second round picks, you'd never trade Josh Hart for that. But then a first round pick, like you would it's because there's no in between. It's because there's like nothing in between a dollar and a dime in the NBA. So you're if you're the Knicks, you're kind of forced to give that up. He's a good rotation player, but I think the 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 tea leaves I'm reading here is that 
the Blazers obtained another first round pick to try to go get someone in the offseason. But it is sort of a interesting sideways move by them. Well, yeah, I think if you're looking at it from that point, uh, I think it's I, I think it's smart by the Blazers to not be like, oh, OK, we're like in 10th place right now or 11th place. Let's like really chase for the play in and try to go get somebody uh, that like um, an Eastern team did that. You know, I think a lot of people were wondering why they did that. We'll get to that trade later. But I like the fact that the Blazers are more prioritizing, uh, like, yeah, just getting, making, like, a future move to try to get another star next to Dame instead of just being like, oh, yeah, let's uh, let's chase the nine spot so we can lose in four games to the one seed. Um, and Thibault's also an interesting younger player, too, where, like, he could really fit next to uh dame i think what's interesting about the blazers though is they basically also and we can uh briefly talk about this trade uh next um is they swapped out uh gp2 for thibel um but but uh, actually before we talk about that trade i'll just say uh from the knicks standpoint um they're in the seven spot right now or the six spot um and they're it's it's pretty clear they should make the top eight, and obviously if you're, you know, you want to get into the top six so you don't have to worry about playing two playing games, and the Knicks are like right behind the Heat, like they're very close. So I understand making this move for the Knicks is helps them get better, uh, helps them potentially get a um, and in, into the top six. So um, honestly, this trade kind of seems like a win-win-win for everybody. Uh, do you want to move on to the? Uh, we can discuss the Blazers uh, Warriors trade where they basically. So th- so the Blazers Warriors trade was okay. This is actually a four way trade. Um, the pit. Hold on. Let me try to redeem myself. Let me try to redeem myself here. Trying to explain four way trades. Okay. So the Pistons receive. <laughs> already messed up. The Pistons receive James Wiseman. The Warriors receive Gary Payton II in three second-round picks from Atlanta. Atlanta <laughs> receives Sadiq Bay, and the Trailblazers receive Kevin Knox in five future second-round picks. So basically, when I initially saw a lot of the trades, we'll break it down further, but the Blazers were like, okay, our defensive stopper is Gary Payton II. He's missed a big chunk of the season due to injury. We're going to trade him back to the Warriors because the Warriors want him. And we're going to get five second round picks. And then we're going to do the trade we just talked about, bring in Matisse Thibault. They're similar players. They're they're guard defensive specialists that are very, very good on defense and they don't bring a lot on offense. And so if you're the Blazers, you're like, well, I can get rid of Gary Payton, who's probably a little better than Thibault, and then bring in Thibault, who's a similar player, but get five second round picks along with that. That, from like a macro standpoint, seems very good for the Blazers. Yeah, and like as we were talking about earlier, as or as you pointed out earlier, where they're trying to like collect a bunch of picks to potentially go after a disgruntled star. Again, they get five second round picks here. That could potentially like that's more sweetener for uh, a potential like disgruntled star. Uh, and they swap out um, GP two for Thibel. Um, I think. Yeah, I think GP2 is a little better, but Thibault's, I think he's like four or five years younger. So they got a lot younger, and he's probably got like way more potential in terms of like 
just again because he's like four or five years younger. Um, for the Warriors, I think uh, getting GP two back makes sense. Um, obviously, if you've, if you've seen some of the reports since then, uh, there was a major kind of holdup in this trade where uh, GP two failed his physical, um, and he's uh, the Warriors did end up going through with the trade, but. He's going to be out, I think. Uh, he's going to be reevaluated a month from now. And it sounds like he wouldn't play until the playoffs, potentially. And, of course, there's no guarantee the Warriors will make the playoffs. Uh, in fact, I think if you were a, a betting man, you might side towards... Or a woman. Or a woman, yeah. Uh, if you were a betting person, uh, you would... Boy, they're even better, even better. Um, or alien. Uh uh, you you would bet on them uh, probably missing the playoffs just because of the Steph injury. And I think some of the teams that have are in that range are, are playing pretty well. But uh, but even so, if, if they do somehow sneak in, uh, they would get him back for the playoffs, and that would be a huge uh, addition for their playoff rotation. I think it would, like, it would get them pretty close to uh, a similar level it, it get get them pretty close to the same team that they had last year, where the only difference would be they wouldn't have Porter. Uh, for the Pistons, they get James Wiseman. Um, yeah. So what do you what do you think about that? Like they have Jalen Duran, and um, so I guess and <laughs> they might have another center after the season that will be the number one. <laughs> you didn't get the script. Wemby's going to San Antonio. Um, okay. James Wiseman to the Pistons, I like. As far as like where he can go and just have playing time and try to develop and try to beat out other guys on the roster, right? This seems like one of the better places to go. I'm still a truther on his offensive skills because, you know, anchor biasing is just so strong. But I do like it for the Pistons because you aren't giving up a whole lot and you're getting a guy that here's the thing James Wise, James Wiseman has potential still he has less potential in my mind than he than he did whatever a year or two ago in like a year or two James Wiseman no longer has potential we got to set a date for this because i remember one time Jay Cutler came out of retirement to play quarterback and the first thing i heard was well you know Jay Cutler has potential and it's like, no, you don't have potential anymore at 35. You just are who you are. Yes, there is the occasional late bloomer, but you know, Jose Batistas in baseball are so rare that James Wiseman, what, what we're putting a timer on it right now. How many more years does Wiseman have any potential? Two two seasons? Um well, I guess it depends. How do you, how are you talking about potential here? Like, is the potential here that like, oh, he's just an NBA level player? In which case no, I'm saying pretend no, no, not that because he could turn into a rotation player, yeah. right? Any player can do that. But I'm saying like a good player that moves the needle in games. Um, I think that, yeah, I think you probably want to wait. I don't know, even that level, like if you're talking all-star. I want to just, I want to establish an expiration date on James Wiseman's potential. Um, Well, so that's why I said like, I, I think a good player who moves the needle, I think you have to give a player like a lot longer. But like if you're talking all-star level, honestly, if you're talking all-star level, I would already be out. No, no, no. I'm talking I'm talking like <laughs> top 100 level. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, well, see, then the question becomes like, 
does he play any game? Like, if so, if he's played two full seasons and he's still at like the same level, then I would agree with you that like that should be the expiration date. If he gets hurt and doesn't play any more games, you just he can't play in the league. You're not allowed to play in the league if you don't play for six years. Yeah. Well, I think the thing to remember is like if so, let's say he gets hurt and he doesn't play for like the next two years or something. It's always possible that a guy stops getting hurt, right? Like, like he. No, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. I'm closing the door. If James Wiseman misses another season, it's over. It's just over. Do do we think? Do you think he could just like so he ends up like similar? path to like a greg odin or something like that that's always possible that'd be yeah that'd be kind of sad but i it would be sad but i don't know you could still try to play overseas like that's still possible or like playing like a lesser league somewhere yeah um i think um well we have seen like pj tucker i think uh played overseas for like five or six years after he came out of college and then came over to the nba in like his late 30s and turned into like a great nba player so it is possible to be like a high level rotation player, even if you have like no indications of that through your first like, you know, five, six seasons or whatever. But like it late twenties, late twenties for PJ Tucker coming over. What oh you came over late twenties? You said late thirties. He's late thirties right now. Oh yeah, sorry, late twenties. Uh, yeah, I just didn't want you I didn't want you to have to hear it on Twitter. <laughs> uh yeah, he came over when he was twenty seven. Uh, I just checked that he actually had one season in the NBA and then at age 21 and then uh, played overseas for five years and then came over at 27. So, um, yeah, but it's different when you're PJ Tucker versus like James Wiseman. I'm not saying that that, I guess that that road is possible for everybody. I just think it's different when you're like this. What was he? The second player taken in the draft? Yeah. Um, no, I, I do think that's, I mean, it's unlikely. It's definitely so here. Okay, so here we're setting the date right now. It's 2023. So does the expiration date for him becoming good is does it end in 2025? Um, yeah, I guess I I think that's fair. Like in terms of like that would be would that be five years in the league? And that would be I think six years in the league. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is like so if the second thing happens where like so if he. Like, we have two paths where he plays a ton and hasn't improved within two years, right? And then there's the other path where we were discussing where, like, he just gets injured for the next two years. I think if he gets injured for the next two years, he's more likely to, like, eventually, just because, like, getting healthy eventually and maybe getting more games or something overseas. But either way, it's, yeah, it would be pretty grim for him if he's uh, not. But you know what? I think... Like this is why this trade is great for him, honestly, because he's going to get playing time. Um, he's going to get consistent playing time. Um, although you know he's going to start, he's going to start averaging like 14, 15 points a game, and no one's going to know how to evaluate them. <laughs> yeah. Although you know what we're saying that he's going to get consistent playing time this year, but um, the thing is, like they're going to. Or he has the chance. He has a. He has the. If you can't get playing time on the Pistons, you aren't going to get it anywhere. I guess that's that's really what I'm saying. Well, they said they're going to start him too. So they're giving him a chance. Um and and actually to be honest, like uh how what he shows the rest of the season could end up defining like kind of where his career arc goes because like if he so he's the Pistons are giving him the starting center spot and if he's just not very good or doesn't show anything to the Pistons where they're like, "Oh yeah, we want to make him our 
like we want to invest in him more, um, then I think it's going to be tough for him because also the Pistons want to be good next year. Uh, they wanted to be good this year. They wanted to chase the plan this year. We all want to be good every year. <laughs> yeah, but I but with another high pick, and they'll have Cade coming back. Um, I don't like if he does if he hasn't shown anything by the end of the season where it's like oh this guy could play on a team chasing the play in, then yeah I don't know like I I yeah I don't know what would happen like maybe he turns into a good backup I guess but. It's going to be hard. Maybe. All right. Well, the Pistons get James Wiseman. The Warriors get Gary Payton II, three second rounders. The Hawks get Sadiq Bey. The only thing I know about Sadiq Bey is he had a 40-point game last year. I think that's what like most people know him for. Um, so there's that flash in there. There's that potential. Um, and then the Trailblazers get, again, Kevin Knox and five second round picks. All right. That's going to do it for the first half of the trade deadline recap. For We're going to do the rest of the trades in part two. For Taylor, for Krishna, I'm Taylor. We'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.